My name's Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue Solo Tales and I'm back for a second season. Basically what I'm doing is learning to play a new game. I'm learning to play GURPS 4th edition and I'm going to do this through a series of solo play sessions. So I thought it would be fun to record those and then share them with you and hopefully that would be useful to somebody out there. Maybe It'll help you learn GURPS, you know, if you're interested in that. But at the very least, it's a model, if you like, for the way in which we can go about learning a new role-playing game. Anyway, lots of this episode kind of covers my rationale and thoughts. I'm not going any further than that, other than to say there are three sections to this episode. The first is the one I just mentioned, the rationale. The second bit is me talking about my character creation for a character called Peter. And then the third bit is Peter's first encounter peter's story starts with an encounter with a street gang let's get into it a big part of learning to master a game is i think mucking around and playing with it Uh, the theory goes something like this it's based on learning theory really But obviously, if you're going to learn a new game, um, and by this I mean rule system, you are going to first of all need to read that, right? But there is a great learning fallacy that comes from reading books. And I discovered this as a school teacher teaching kids to revise. And it's very simple. The more you use a textbook, for example, the more you become familiar with where things are in the textbook. And you can get this kind of learning illusion where you think you know the stuff, but what you really know is where to find the stuff in the book. And so as a GM, I think one of the traps I've fallen into in the past is that I get very familiar with the rule book. And so I know where things are, but I don't necessarily learn and memorize or remember the rules themselves. And that leads me to the inevitable situation where I've forgotten actually the rule and I need to know what it is in the middle of a game and so I end up looking it up. There are lots of ways of mitigating this, but the main thing is that, you know, if we're going to develop mastery of a game, we have to internalise those rules. And so learning stuff from books requires you to do a few things. You need to do something with the, the, the thing. Like just reading the book is actually counterproductive. It's the least effective way of learning. And so some standard tricks are, by all means, read the thing. But as you do so, it's really important to use what you're learning. So in, in game terms, that's great. You know, actually, like, for example, if you want to learn the character creation rules, well, build characters. If you want to learn how to build NPCs, well, you have to build some. So fine reading the rules around character um, you know, what characters can be and what they can do and all the rest of it. But if you don't do that, then you're not going to learn them. And as a GM, it's really important to build characters. And of course, every character you build potentially could be an NPC. So that's not a problem, even if you're like never intending to do solo play. But another um, top one with use of game is to like run yourself through small 
situations and scenarios and, and things like that by way of memorizing and learning to play the game. So I've always done this right back into my youth. My solo play primarily was about like, I don't know, running a fight scene to learn the basics of fighting and a different types of scene that you learn different bits of the rules. And I think that's really important. It's really, really cool. Now here's the big benefit of running solo games. If you run a solo game scenario that actually is an ongoing story and narrative, first of all, that's interesting, but also it's much nearer to what you're doing at the gaming table as a GM um, because you know you're actually dealing with the moment to moment decision making. And what you can do is like apply the rules in through your mini story that you're telling, and of course find the moments where you don't know the rule, and you can go look that up and then apply it at the table, which helps you to remember it. The next tip is actually in terms of making notes of rules that you might struggle with for reference during play. So the next thing is probably to make yourself a cheat sheet of the core things. And that's kind of really personal to you. It, Justin Alexander actually makes the, the point that it's probably worth creating a cheat sheet of the core game rules for yourself anyway, because the act of turning your memory into some notes, and obviously if you need to, referencing the rule book here and there to clarify things is part of learning process. That's a revision technique, really. Um, you can also give those to your players. So those cheat sheets can be something, a summarized version of the game rules that you can give to players, which is a great tool. But actually, I think the more useful thing that Justin advises is as you're writing adventures, if you're aware, like, for example, maybe you've got a deep pool in, the, in a room in a dungeon and you think the player characters might go swimming in it and you don't really know the swimming rules and holding your breath underwater and fighting in water and those issues, well, then you could go look those up. You can summarise them into your GM notes so you have them right there in front of you at the session to refer to. But actually the whole process again of going looking it up, getting your head around it, writing a summary notes will help you to remember it anyway. So this is the basis behind like where I'm at in terms of using and learning GURPS through play. Okay. So I guess this episode in what I'm talking about here is really about me learning GURPS and it's going to be probably multiple kind of things and steps in this process. It won't like be one episode, but I thought it would be worth me talking through some of the things I'm doing, why I'm doing them or what I have done and why I've done them uh, and sharing those with you. And then you can use those to sort of um, guide your own process, I suppose. That's my hope anyway, that maybe this is helpful to someone else. So the game system I'm learning is GURPS 4th Edition by Steve Jackson Games, which I absolutely love. And um, But the thing about it is I love it because of its flexibility and its openness, but it is kind of big there's a lot of stuff in there there's a lot of detail in there um and so i'm sort of trying to break that all down and and i struggled for a very long while with this game because i had some false beliefs about the game so first of all i this false belief i generally have that um learning things that have lots of information is kind of super hard and complex um because if lots of information equals complex, but actually lots of choices and options does not necessarily equal complicated. It just is lots of information and detail. Um, and the more you have to learn, have to learn, right, then the harder that can be because you've got to learn lots of individual things. But actually the, in, each individual thing is no harder to learn than anything else. I, I think the point I'm trying to make here is that the game itself isn't any more complicated just because it has lots of options. 
the game itself is very simple. Um, and the second fallacy is this kind of idea that I have to know everything at once, right? That I, if I don't know the whole game, then I don't know any of the game and I can't really play it. And that's also rubbish. I mean, you can learn things in increments and in parts. And that's how we learn most things, actually. Um, you know, when preparing for something like a GCSE or A-level at school, the kids I'm teaching don't learn the entire course in one go. You know, we go lesson by lesson and we build their knowledge. And the trick of being a teacher is sequencing things in ways that are logical. There's no right way to do that, but there are lots of different ways you can do it. And some of them perhaps are more effective than others. And I, I think one of the things that we learn over time is how to be more effective. And so, yeah, the... My thought this sort of in, in this and this point in talking to you about this is to sort of say, well, this is how I am sequencing my learning with GURPS. And I'm just going to walk through that, I guess. So it begins for me. What I did is I sat down and I've read through the introduction to the rule books. Now, there are two. The basic set of GURPS has two rule books, basic set characters and basic set campaigns. They're really just one book split into two because the pagination, uh, the page numbering goes directly from book. The character's book runs straight into the pagination for the campaign's book. So, you know, campaigns starts on page 339, I think it is, something like that. 338, there we go. Um, contents page 339 and so on and forward. Um, so what we're really looking at is one big 570-odd five pages. I'm in the middle of the um, index here. So 570-odd page rule book. So it's big, but, you know, not insurmountable. So I started by reading the introduction and reading sequentially until I got to characters, character creation, and then I sat down and I started to create a character. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit here. So I, um, I then, at the point when I started to make a character, I realized that I needed to split the tasks. So I have been reading GURPS, the GURPS rule books in a sort of sequential manner and allowing myself to move around them as curiosity and points of clarification kind of happen. So for example, um, if an idea pops into my head about how equipment might work, I've quickly looked that up um, as I may be looking at like an advantage which relates to that equipment, I don't know, whatever. Um, but I've, I've basically allowed myself freely to move through the rule books and to read them, but I am sequentially trying to work through at least the rules parts. Um, I'm sort of skipping over all of the individual options. So, for example, reading the advantages chapter, um, I haven't read every advantage. You know, I've skipped through, looked at some of the things I'm interested in, um, have an awareness of what's in there, but I'm going to learn those as they come up. And this is the distinction between like wanting to know everything and learning things sequentially and individually as, as you need them. Um, but what I have done is made sure I was aware of the core advantage rules and what they are, how they work, and how they might be used. There's lots of things I learned from that. For example, um, there's a bit, I'll just flip to the book actually as I talk. There's a bit near the start which is um, about potential advantages, the idea of spending half the points value of an advantage to gain that advantage later in the campaign when some kind of trigger sets it off um, and brings it into play. Um, which is a cool and neat idea that I hadn't really considered before. So, you know, that and I've actually used that with my character. So having witted for 10 minutes, I'm going to um, just take a, a short break here and then I'm going to record uh, a quick summary of the first character I created um, in this attempt through and run through GURPS and why I did that. Rescue! All right, so... 
The best way to learn a game, is, I think, is first of all, start with building characters. That's the way I tend to work. Learning to build a playable character, for a player character, is um, going to give you um, a really good insight into how the game runs and plays. And I'll raise loads of questions in your mind about how the game plays. So in Learning Gurps, what I've done is I've read the basics introduction. There is a very short introduction at the start of um, the basic set. Okay, um, just flipping the page and the quick start call on page eight and nine. Um, so basic eight and nine. And also there's a little section on conventions, which is around about rounding and the use of dice and things like that. Great stuff. So you've basically got three core rules. You've got the success roll, which is a 3d6 roll low against your skill or attribute or other trait. Um, and obviously low is good if you equal or less than your your value, then you succeed, and if you're higher than it, you fail. There's the reaction role, which is something the game master does. It's a, there's a, essentially a reaction table. A 3d6 roll is made. A high number is good here, and modifiers can be applied to that by PC um, things that they have, like maybe re if they have a reputation, for example, it might give a positive or a negative modifier to that. So a reaction roll, 3d6 roll, high is better, low is not so good. And a really useful tool for the GM when you're meeting NPCs that, you know, maybe they don't really have a predetermined reaction, you know, worked out. They can roll on that table, really useful tool. And then there's the damage roll, which uses the dice plus adds system. GURPS is completely 3d6, sorry, is a 3d6 system, but it's completely d6 based. So any dice you're rolling are d6 and you add any bonuses or penalties um, so essentially, you know, if I've got like, uh, I don't know, if I've got 1D plus 1 with my sword and I'm rolling 1D6 and adding 1 to the total, um, you know, to, to roll damage. And those are the core rules of GURPS. And I talked about how detail is not the same as complexity. That's it. That's, that's the core rules. Everything else is detail. And, and I think that's really true of GURPS um, in a sort of scary way, actually. Um, almost everything boils down to that. So, But that's enough to know why I'm picking numbers that I'm picking as I do stuff. Um, so the next thing is that I realised that my preferences for gaming fall into sort of, there's two kind of key things I wanted to pick up on. One of them is I'm, I'm drawn to low power gaming. One of the reasons um, for that is because with a game like GURPS, I think having less options on your character sheet and learning them incrementally is a really useful learning tool. So the first thing is like by picking a very low points character to build, I actually like learn things in a much more incremental manner and it's easier. But the other reason is I actually like low power adventures. I like the zero to hero thing. I like all of that kind of flavor. So um, to me, it's really like the default in GURPS seems to be sort of 100, 200 point characters. And you have character points, by the way, in GURPS. That's the other key concept, I suppose, that you have points to spend on your character and everything in the game that you could possibly put in your character sheet that has some kind of game benefit, has a points value. Um, or gives you points back. It's a negative value. It gives you points back. It's like a disadvantage. You know, it might give you points back that you can spend on something else. And so I looked in GURPS Basic Set, and in the campaigns book on page uh, 487, it says that average folk are between 25 and 50 points, and competent people are between 50 and 75 points. So the cusp between those two, average and competent, is 50 points. So I picked a 50-point starting point. Now, I sort of decided my character would be broadly mundane with one specific exception that I'm going to come to in a minute. 
But I also decided that I, what I wanted to do is create some kind, I needed some kind of context or background or whatever. So I decided I would start with a bit of an urban fantasy world. Um, now in my mind, this has started to develop as we've been, I've been mucking around, it's developed into probably a bit of a portal fantasy kind of world, a bit of a cross-dimensional kind of game in my mind. And that's inspired a little bit because I'm really into that kind of cross-dimensional gaming. Some of the most exciting games that I've played in the past come from that. And so when I'm, I'm tapping into like my core at the moment of like what I really enjoy about gaming and doing it for me, because again, the great thing about solo gaming is you really do what you want to do, not what your players are interested in. I've tended to find over the years that not many players out there seem interested in when I talk about the idea of a cross-dimension game um, or a poor fantasy or anything like that. Uh, so actually, I'm just going to do this for myself, right? So I decided that my character would be in an urban fantasy world, but not be aware of being in an urban fantasy world yet. So basically a normal kind of person, average person, who I'm then going to put into an interesting series of situations. And by the way, that was the probably the third thought I've had recently is an understanding, is that actually I don't think high-powered characters is what interests me. I think it can be interesting to have like power, like superhero with like amazing powers. But it's not what interests me. What interests me is interesting situations, putting people in situations that they are not well suited to um, and seeing what happens is, is actually quite a fun thing to do. And so I'm going to leverage that here. So I started to create a character called Peter, who is, and his, I'm just going to read my um, original background here. So he's a modern British school teacher, um, has a little bit of a background with the army cadets sometime in his past, and is perhaps slightly smarter than the average but otherwise only mildly fit and has some um, varied life experience for the game he lives alone in a townhouse that he owns and he lives um, an otherwise unremarkable life at this point so that was my concept if you like because i think the most important thing with gertz is you've got to know what it is you're building now as it turned out i think the background the army cadets has kind of like not come through necessarily yet but it could do so um here's where i started i start with the basic attributes i'm following the rules here so just bear with me um there are four basic attributes you've got strength dexterity iq intelligence and um health and i just went mad i made him iq 12 which cost 40 points out of his 50 um, and left everything else at 10 and the reason for that is because 12 to 13 was what it says on page 14 of GURPS. It says that that's above average. So above average IQ, 13 or 14. I went mad. Sorry, 12 to 13. Is that right? Yeah, no. Sorry, 11 to 12. I'm going mad here. Um, and I gave him 12 anyway. So it's a kind of an above average thing. Um, and then secondary characteristics were all standard, basically, from that concept. All the things that fall out of those characteristics. That's things like hit points and fatigue points, your perception, your will. Um, they were all just as were as listed, really, um, including working out his speed and his base move and all of that basic uh, lift and all of those stats that go with the game rules. And then um, we got to the section on build. So I decided he was average looking. The height, weight, I used myself. I mean, obviously, Peter's a bit of an analogue for me. Um, I'm 6'1", so I gave him that height. That turns out to be the maximum height in the normal range of characters who are strength 10, so that was fine. But the weight, I'm about 210 pounds, just under 210 pounds, so I um, I realised that that makes him overweight. So I gave him the overweight disadvantage, minus one points. Um, 
On the age and beauty bit, I decided to be age 52, which is me, which is the typical range of 18 to 70 for heroes. So there's no change there and just average appearance. For social background, I then decided that we'll assume a tech level eight, which the book says is kind of like now. Um, interestingly and amusingly, really, tech level nine is listed in there as 2025 plus. You've got to bear in mind, GURPS was, was published in 2004, like 20 years ago. So... 2025 plus is where we see the, the TL9 stuff coming in, the next technological op. And I don't suppose we're all that far from that, but, you know, there we go. And then for a cultural familiarity, um, a sort of British culture. So this is this listed in the game is really Western culture. So I gave him that uh, for free. And he gets English, reading, writing English for free as a native language. And then wealth and influence, I just assumed average for those, but I decided to give him a mortgage, um, which worked out. I gave him 7% of the starting wealth. So starting wealth at TLA, I think is $20,000. I gave him about 7% of that as a debt, which was a minus seven disadvantage, um, which is his mortgage. It's about $1,400 a month, which he has to pay. Um, but then no reputation and status bonuses or anything like that. I just kind of left... But no significant friends or foes or anything. I just keep things simple. And then we get to the advantages bit. So um, sticking with mundane choices, but I wanted the idea of sort of, I like the idea of the Schrodinger's advantage, but actually what I went for was what I mentioned earlier, that um, that idea that advantages can be potential, potential advantages, so they can turn up in the game. And so what I've done there is I spent... I wanted to give him Majory, which is the ability to cast magic spells using the basic magic system in GURPS. I want, and the reason for that is I really want to learn the magic system. I want to get my head around it and play with it, so that makes sense. And obviously this is urban fantasy. But I've given him the, the, the potential to have that. So the way that works is um, you invest 50% of the points that you would want for that advantage up front and then you set up with the GM when that will trigger and then when it triggers you have to pay the value the remaining value either immediately to have it at full effect or the GM can kind of put mitigators on that to, so for example it might be a bit unreliable or something at first and that can mitigate the cost of it and there's all sorts of stuff in GURPS for doing that so I'm not going to get into that right now um, so what I did is I spent basically major E1 would normally be eight, 15 points so it's 8 points um, of advantage and I also decided at that point to buy a couple of traits I have so less sleep for two points which basically means he does only need seven hours sleep instead of eight hours sleep at night and I also gave him the empathy advantage at the sensitive level so it's called sensitive it's five points is a sort of reading people and getting a feel for people ability in the game which I quite liked I think it fit the school teacher quite well Disadvantages. The recommendation in GURPS is to limit this to 50% of starting points. So I set that at 25 points, which I, I honestly think is 50% of is a lot. But there we go. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, and so I already had minus eight of those because I've got the debt and the overweight. So there were 17 left to sort of spend. So what I did is I chose bad sight, nearsighted with the glasses mitigator. Uh, which is a minus 60% benefit. So that comes in at minus 10 points as a disadvantage. I guess I am that nearsighted. Um, and also I took the loner advantage on nine or less for minus seven. Basically, um, this character functions better on their own. And if they're in a group situation, they're kind of like easily distracted, I guess is the kind of way to look at that. So 
And I decided off the back of that, there's always minus five points of quirk. So I've listed them on the sheet as points, but I thought I will add them in at the end. And as we get into play, I'll sort of define those through play, which is one of the options in GURPS actually, is to GM can allow you to do that. So I did that. And then finally, that brought us to skills. So I actually jumped off. There's a free skill category document you can download from sjgames.com slash GURPS. And it lists all of the skills by kind of categories. And I, you went through that and I made a wish list. The wish list ended up being 45 skills long of things I might like to have that seemed appropriate. So I only had about 15 points or so left to spend, I think, at first, I realised. And then I realised that with the quirks and a couple of other things, it was actually, I could have 25 points. So I went through and I then worked through the skills that I'm giving this character. So uh, I don't know how useful it is to list them, but the big one was teaching. I put four points in there. I also gave him theology and Christianity and making the character a bit a Christian. And then basically things like area knowledge, computer operations, cooking, housekeeping, typing, writing, research, uh, comparative theology, which is what he teaches at school, driving, navigation, land, uh, literature, detecting lies, occultism, interestingly because I'm interested in the occult and I thought my character would benefit from that but also in a sort of urban fantasy game that would be a really useful and fun skin to have leadership psychology first aid diagnosis search search is the ability to search people for things they're hiding um, and observation which is you know being able to observe a situation and, and notice things which is fundamental to teaching um, all of those pretty much have one point uh, given to them just so you get a range of skills. And I had a bit of a realisation off the back of that, which was that some skills are probably not terribly useful in some campaigns because they're kind of not likely to turn up very often. So a classic example on this character sheet is housekeeping, which basically allows you to, was it the ability to manage a household like home economics, domestic chores, so cleaning and cooking, uh, minor repairs and stuff like that. Um, and on the surface of it, you might think, well, that's not very useful in most campaigns. And that's true. Although the book does say, like, you know, maybe this is the um, an instance you might use it in an adventure is like cleaning up the evidence uh, scene where there's been violence, um, which amuses me. But what it, it helped me realise is that you can do one or two things with a lot of skills in GURPS. And if you think they're not going to come up in your campaign or you're not bothered about those kinds of things in your campaign, you don't find those interesting, like housekeeping, you could just drop that skill. You could say, well, I'm not going to have that skill in my game. Just tell your players. And um, actually on the GURPS website, there's a great little tool for this. That you can literally list, go to a list of every skill in the game, every advantage and disadvantage as well in the game. And you can kind of click them as either like essential, you, you know, allowed or like discourage them and say like they're not important uh, or ban them outright. And um, I think this is a case where you would, as a GM in any given campaign, you need to sort of take the time to go through and say, don't worry about these skills. So I might drop housekeeping from my gaming. Or the other alternative, of course, is to leverage that in play as a GM. And that reminds me of Jameson's comment in his book, Game Mastering, about thinking of ways to challenge the PC skills as part of your prep, you know, and then adding those challenges into ventures. So, for example, if you're going to have housekeeping as a skill, maybe it's important to give the players those opportunities where maybe cleaning up the mess at a murder scene is dead important. Um, 
Uh, and I don't know quite off the top of my head how I do that, but you know, to be aware that characters, players have given their characters these skills. My view is that a skill a character has been given is the player telling me they want to use that in a game. That is, that that thing is important to them in the game, and therefore it's sort of important for me to like find find uses for those skills in the game, so then they haven't wasted taking that choice and those points, if you like. Um, and so I think that's a really, really kind of cool line of thought that I got out of like just doing this process that I'm going to sort of follow up on. And I don't know whether, because another thing is like a bit of advice is to allow people to accept the character and after, play a few games. And after a couple of sessions, to sort of two or three sessions to say, do you want to tweak anything? Do you want to change anything? And be flexible about that as a GM, because again, we don't really know what the game's about yet. So what skills are useful? So I'm going to keep like that housekeeping skill that Peter has in mind as something I might swap out for something else um, if it doesn't prove important later in the game. And then following that, I just equipped him. I just grabbed a few basic bits. I made some notes about like his cost of living. Again, a rule I had not read before, but you know, $600 a month is the average kind of cost of living in a TL8 society. He's got a cell phone. There's a cell phone monthly fill of $20. Um, little stuff. Uh, but basically just kind of like getting them up and running quickly. He hasn't got any weapons or armour um, because he's an average person, an average Joe. And I, but I did make a note of the punch and the kick uh, stats uh, for fighting because, well, no big spoiler, I suppose, but I'm going to start by having Peter getting mugged in an alley. Game on. Hi, Che. Simon Williams here. I've just listened to your fifth and final episode of your Crags Ruin saga and wow, absolutely loved it. Fantastic storytelling, great explanation of the rules, just really, really good. And I do so hope that you do some more. Um, of course, the solo game is, is for you. Um, but if you do decide to record some more, then yeah, I will be an avid listener. Anyway, keep up the great work on the main show and the GM's journal. You do so much for the community and I'm sure that I speak for many when I say that I'm very, very grateful for that. And yeah, keep up the great work and thank you. And I hope to speak to you soon. Take care. All right, a brief interlude there. Thank you to Simon Williams from Legend of the Bones, his own solo play podcast, which is amazing and you should listen to. But Simon, thank you for calling in about the end of the last episode. And well, I'm not quite sure this is what you had in mind, but this is what I'm doing next. So kind of picking up a new game and mucking around with it, learning with it, and oh, we'll see where it takes us. The great thing about solo gaming is you never know where it will go, whether it will be a long thing, a short thing, just a thing. I don't know. But anyway, thank you so much for your kind and supportive words. I hope this isn't a disappointment to you. Game on, brother. Peter was walking home alone. Night had fallen and the streets were quiet. As he walked through the churchyard, following the narrow dirt path as it wound through the grounds, he became aware of them. Two young men, perhaps late teens or early twenties, were tailing him. Peter glanced nervously ahead to see how far he needed to go. That's when the third lad stepped into his path. All right, mate. 
the youth asked. Sure, Peter said. Here we go then. I'm setting up a scene to specifically learn the basics of GURPS combat. For the purposes of this encounter, I'm going to use the combat light rules, which are found at the back of basic set characters. My intention is to move on to the core combat system in basic set campaigns chapter 11 in future play sessions. For now, I just want to grasp and practice the basics. We need three NPC youths. Keeping things simple, let's assume they're average lads, but give each a different emphasis. I like the idea of a burly youth who's stronger, perhaps an agile youth who's more dexterous, and a fit youth who's healthier. An average person is 25 points, so we'll drop 20 points into the respective attributes and then have 5 points of appropriate skills. This is, by the way, both a quick way to build NPCs, but also reveals how spending character points in a targeted way is more efficient and optimised. Peter is not optimised for fighting, so he is doubly screwed by dint of fact that he's outnumbered and inefficiently designed. The Burly Youth has strength 12, all the other attributes remain at the average value of 10. The Dexterous Youth has Dex 11 because Dex and IQ cost twice as much as strength and health. And then the Fit Youth has Health 12. The skills, they can all have Knife and Brawling. These are both easy Dex-based skills so I can spread the points for variety. Let's give Burly more Brawling, the Dexterous Youth having more Knife and the Fit Youth having a Balance. Let's give him an added Axe Mace skill point so he can wield a length of pipe as a club nasty aren't they for fun i'm going to make the fit youth with the pipe cowardly he'll have the cowardice disadvantage but he can resist on a 15 or less which is most of the time for minus five points and then he then gets the fit advantage costing five points itself making him better at shaking off injury and staying in the fight i'll treat fit youth's pipe as a small mace but otherwise just jot down the punch kick and small knife weapon stats by the way, one of the things I love about GURPS is the way that many weapons can be used in different ways. Slashing with a knife is different than stabbing with it, for example, and the rules account for this detail. Anyway, that's way more detail than I might usually give three thugs, but it, it's kind of fun to imagine three different uses for the scene. I know that they're looking to mug Peter, but how aggressive are they? Let's make a reaction roll. Basic set suggests that street gangs might have a standard minus five modifier to anybody, so I'll just use that. Rolling 3d6 where high is good, low is bad. A 12. Less five is seven. That's the low end of poor. They are unimpressed and may become hostile if there's much profit in it or little danger. It seems perfect for our situation. Oh, and the sequence of action is determined by basic speed in GURPS. This encounter runs with disorder. The fit youth, the dexterous youth, and then the burly guy and Peter are tied. They have the same dex too, so we'll roll to see who goes first. One dice, one to three is Peter. One, okay. So it's fit, dexterous, Peter, then the burly guy. I'm gonna run the fight as much as I can narratively, but to be honest, it's the first fight and I'll make the die rolls and I'll try not to talk too much about mechanisms, but you know, I'll probably end up talking about mechanism. Let's get into it. Nice laptop you've got there, mate. Um, yeah, I, I guess, said Peter as the burly youth stepped a little too close for comfort.
The others laughed behind him on the path, maybe three yards back. One of them had a length of pipe that he was holding down near his leg and just behind it. Peter swallowed nervously. The youth with the pipe raised it up and out, swinging it in a menacing manner and stepping a yard closer. The other lithe-looking youth next to him flicked out a small knife and the blade glinted in the moonlight. It was a full moon tonight, Peter noticed, as the youth stepped forward too. Peter reacted quickly. His thought was, take this big guy down and then run for it. He swung the laptop up and towards the burly youth's head with everything he had. Okay, some decisions to make at this point. The laptop is functionally a club, fairly heavy but also fragile. It's not technically ready, but then it's not technically a weapon, so Peter is swinging an improvised mace. He hasn't got the axe mace skill, so he defaults to DX minus 5. That's a 5 or less, but we'll use the all-out attack manoeuvre and give Peter the plus 4 bonus for a determined strike. The downside is Peter is forfeiting defence rolls for this turn. His hope is that a show of force might be enough to get them to back off. So, swinging the laptop, Peter needs a nine or less. A nine. Hurrah! The burly youth, caught off guard by the laptop, heading for his face, tries to parry the blow with his arm, but fails. The laptop slams into the burly youth for six crushing damage. That's half the guy's hit points in one strike. Unfortunately, major wounds kick in when the wound exceeds half hit points. But nonetheless, the burly guy suffers a minus four shock penalty on his next turn, which is next. Having hit the guy, Peter tries to sidestep him to get past. I'll rule it's a quick context of dexterity. The burly guy has that shock penalty, so he fails by two, while Peter succeeds by three. Peter steps around the burly guy as he nurses the blow from the laptop and the next turn Peter's clear to run. The burly guy swears and draws his knife. You little fucker. The fit guy moves and attacks Peter with the pipe but the swing is wild and goes well wide of the target clanging down on the ground to Peter's left. The dexterous guy moves up close to Peter too making a strong all out attack with the knife He intends to gut the guy and is on target. Peter cannot defend due to the previous all-out attack he made, so we roll damage. 1d-3, but plus 2 for the strong attack. A 2 rolled, minus 3 takes it to 1 with an impaling weapon. Plus 2 is 3 impaling total, and impaling hits double once they penetrate armour. Peter has no armour, so that's 6 hit points through. Ouch! Peter yells out loud as a knife stabs into his belly. He has taken more than half his total hit points in one strike, so it's a major wound. He must test his health, needing ten or less. An eight is good. He's not stunned, although he's at minus four to his next turn's action from the shock, which is now. I'm sure there's a ruling GURPS for impaling weapons, getting stuck in people, but we're going to keep it simple. He's still just about has more than one third of his starting hit points so he can run full pelt he legs it at five yards per second towards the churchyard gate how far away is the churchyard gate let's roll 3d6 okay it's eight yards to the gate that's three more to go 
does the burly guy pursue? Time for a reaction roll, I think. Minus five for Street Gang, but he's injured from the laptop he wants to steal, which might well be broken now, actually, when I think about it. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to award plus one for Peter getting in a hit and running. So 3d6 minus four. 12 rolled is unimpressed. I rule he hesitates um, just for a second, but he's still aggressive. Get him! The fit guy runs after Peter, swinging the pipe around to try and hit Peter from behind, but misses. The pipe whistling over Peter's head. The lad is, however, right behind Peter. The dexterous guy, he'll run after Peter, knife in hand. He's one yard behind his prey. Peter sprints for the gate and five yards places him through the other side two yards on into the street lighting the burly guide begins to chase moving five yards the question is do they pursue onto the street lit area it seems kind of less likely to me although peter is wounded i rule they will pursue on a nine or less on 3d6 14 okay then peter ran into the street and noticed the youths drop back, which was just as well as he was bleeding from the stab wound and needed help. Help! he cried. A couple walking towards him noticed his blood-soaked shirt. Peter slumped into them as they rushed towards him. I've been stabbed, Peter said. Can you call an ambulance? <laughs> That was fun. I uh, I think I learned the basics of fighting with the GURPS again, which is good. Um, but the street scuffle, <laughs> that was pretty entertaining, actually. Yeah, uh, a bit more focus on the numbers at this stage than I'm kind of comfortable with. But I guess in my learning state, that's okay. So I'll, uh, well, I'll firm it up and I'll speed it up, given some practice, I guess. I guess next time I kind of need to make sure that Peter's armed. Maybe he's now sort of motivated to get himself something. Let's give him a character point to spend by way of experience anyway, just to round things off. So that's it for this episode. I don't know. I'll hope to do a few more, but we'll see how it goes. In the meantime, my name's Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue Solo Tales. I'll see you again sometime soon. Game on. Game <laughs> on.